SEP Fanfic Readings presents Measure of a Man by In a Daze 22 Chapter 38 Ties that Bind December 6, 2011 Cormac McLagan had gotten himself into quite a mess. Yet, by the time Draco and Hermione entered Percy's office, Cormac sat in Percy's chair as proud and arrogant as ever. A slimy smirk creased the corners of his lips when he saw Hermione, despite his bound wrist and Pansy's wand at his neck. When he blatantly looked down at her legs, Hermione briefly considered giving Pansy permission to use whatever hex was poised at the tip of her tongue. Fortunately for Cormac, Hermione knew the art of war wasn't nearly as effective as the art of diplomacy. She ignored him. But Draco didn't. With one nod from him, the tip of Pansy's wand lit in permission, and the coils of his binds tightened until Cormac's expression dissolved into a pained grimace. By the time Pansy loosened them again, he was gritting his teeth and panting. "'Why did you—' "'A reminder?' Draco's face was devoid of emotion. "'Plenty where that came from!' Pansy smiled brightly. Hermione eyed her, then turned her glare on Draco, but his unapologetic stare and Percy's lack of argument made her recall a valuable lesson. Diplomacy didn't mean sacrificing respect in the name of keeping the peace. So, fair enough. Rather than address it, she moved on. "'Where are we taking him?' "'This flu connects to the place.' Harry's waiting for us in the meeting room. How much time do you both have? Scorpius is at home with Granger's parents. We have time. They were staying the night. When they left, Zippy was preparing the guest room, and Scorpius was in pajamas, trying to listen to her dad read, but was close to sleep with his thumb in his mouth while her mother observed. Percy gestured and said, Lead the way. Hermione had been in the meeting room at the library more than once, but upon their entrance she learned something new— the desk Harry had his feet on transformed into a table large enough for six. The magical remodeling startled him so badly, he swore as he fell from his chair, disappearing from sight. Four additional chairs appeared on one side of the table, and one popped into existence on the other. "'Are you okay, Harry?' Hermione asked when the room stopped changing. "'Fuck! Ow! Yeah, I'm fine, I think.' "'You could have told the room how many people were attending.' A vaguely amused Percy helped Harry to his feet. How was I supposed to know? Pansy cackled, which earned her a rude gesture from Harry after he claimed the middle chair. Draco suppressed his laughter with a cough and glared at Cormac, who was too busy looking around the room to notice. Where am I? That's none of your concern. Draco all but shoved the taller man into the chair. It earned him a put-out look. You don't have to stay, Percy said to Pansy in a low voice Hermione barely caught. I'll wait up. She winked at him and left. After adjusting Hermione's seat next to Harry, Draco took his own, but instead of asking the question Hermione was dying to know, he sat back and let Percy do his job. "'Immunity isn't given. It's earned,' Pacey summoned a parchment and quill, spelling them to record every word before folding his hands and leaning back. "'If we were to entertain the request, it would require more than your presence.' "'Name your price.' "'The truth. All of it.' But first, we'll start with what you know of your uncle's business practices. Everything. The sound that escaped Cormac was bitter and cold. If immunity's on the table, I have nothing to hide. Then he started talking, and something sparked inside Hermione. Fire. Cormac went into graphic detail about his uncle's business dealings. He'd amassed wealth years before the wars through the quiet deception of the muggle world, using a confundus on unsuspecting muggles whenever they discovered his scams— 
and paying off various ministry officials to turn a blind eye when his actions caught up to him. As far as the wizarding world, his reach stretched well beyond the rental situation in Diagon Alley. The loan hearing's results were buried under a mountain of legal documentation. The Flu Network Authority had been the reason Tiberius had been allowed into Hermione's office all those months ago without her permission. Paperwork banning him had been filed quietly by Percy following the meeting. And it went on from there. He owned not only Diagon Alley, but businesses chosen by the Ministry to repair the damage to Gringotts. Hundreds of requests for the Ministry to fix the magical damage done to homes and businesses outside of Diagon Alley had been ignored, unless he saw the benefit to fixing them. The more Cormac talked, the worse Hermione felt. Her head began to pound, her stomach rolled with nausea, and her fists balled as tight as the tension in her shoulders. Harry looked unsettled, but Percy and Draco were harder to read. Every Wizengamot member was under his thumb, some for the deeds they'd done, others for the secrets they needed kept. A few kept quiet for galleons they received as compensation, and the majority just ignored everything they saw. In Hermione's opinion, the latter were the worst. And now they were the most terrified. "'I'd like to discuss the details of my immunity now,' Cormac blinked twice while jiggling his leg. Hermione quickly picked up on the nervous tick. "'Odd.' "'I've told you some of what I know. Now it's your turn to grant me immunity for the rest.' "'It doesn't work like that,' Percy looked up from the parchment. "'Your information has to be confirmed and verified. A deal has to be drawn, magical documents prepared, approved, signed, and sealed. It's not something we can do, right? I'll take a vow,' he said. "'Even odder. Should anything I say turn out to be false, I'll pay with my life.' "'There's no need to—' "'Let him do it,' Draco tapped his finger against the arms of his chair— It'll benefit us one way or the other. A win-win, if you will. Hermione gave him a chiding look. No, she didn't like Cormac, but she didn't wish ill on him. Draco shrugged in response, but from the corner of her eye, Percy's expression made it clear he wasn't opposed. An exchanged look between Harry and Draco prompted them all to leave her and Cormac at the table, for what ended up being a lengthy conversation out of earshot. Her curiosity nearly consumed her by the time they returned. Harry will serve as witness. Draco wouldn't look at her. You get to choose who takes the vow with you. Granger is excluded. Cormac chose Percy, trusting his phrasing over Draco's in fear he'd end up dead due to loopholes. He wasn't wrong. Draco took the decision in stride, unbound Cormac, and returned to his seat next to her. Hermione looked on while Percy and Cormac stood before each other, their right hands clasped, while Harry, with his wand resting on their linked hands, acted as a witness. Each time Percy recited a vow, and Cormac accepted, a thin stream of fire emitted from Harry's wand, weaving around their hands. By the time they finished, there were four links, and the agreement made them sink into their skin. It was done. Cormac looked visibly relieved. Draco tapped his finger twice. Percy's next order of business was obtaining his memories. Always prepared, Hermione fished vials out of her beaded bag as needed. There were at least thirty by the time he finished— and she packed each carefully, returning them to her bag one at a time. "'What is Tiberius most afraid of?' Percy asked when seated. "'A deal he made just after he became chief warlock,' Cormac rubbed his sore wrist. "'Beneficial at first, lucrative enough for both parties, but it's become a detriment as of late. "'A deal with who?' "'The Death Eaters.' No one said a word. Hermione's stomach dropped. Momentarily dizzy from her heart's pounding, her mind raced in all directions like a whirlwind— "'flinging the dust of memories of incidents that jogged her confusion, "'comments that piqued her curiosity, "'and things that never sat well with her. 
Everything. The truth made so much sense it hurt. The past, now seen through a different lens of the very worst sort of corruption, made her physically ill. My uncle is very good at forming alliances. It's how he became Chief Warlock in the first place. Hermione was still reeling. It's also how he managed to keep the Death Eaters from destroying everything under his rule. They needed time to rebuild, and my uncle wanted them to focus their efforts somewhere else, so they were to cause just enough chaos to keep the oars busy and draw the public's focus off the Ministry. It was ideal to allow him to do as he pleased. Dark eyes cut over to Draco, then Percy. Neither had moved except to look at each other from opposite ends of the table. The silent conversation went over Hermione's head. Learning the existence of the Restoration at the beginning of the year made him paranoid. He didn't know who was in it, but the idea of someone potentially figuring it out made him volatile and sloppy. Did either of you suspect? It was a theory. Percy left it at that. How long have you been involved? Seven years. A rueful chuckle escaped. Since my uncle decided to stop getting his hands dirty. War is more profitable than peace. The words were bitter in her mouth. War allows the attention to fall on everything except the source of the problem. Her eyes met Cormac's, and he gave a little shrug, but didn't deny it. And your role? Percy remained calm, even as Harry shifted uncomfortably. I funneled funds and information back and forth, and pacified them when the Ministry made changes they weren't aware of. I did my uncle's dirty work. At first, it was unwillingly, but over time it got easier. I knew it was going to fall apart at some point, so I did what I had to do. I kept evidence, formed my own alliances, and ended up gaining their trust with a few side projects of my own along the way. Such as? Too many to count. But there is one that might interest you more than the rest. They wanted an army, strength in numbers and all that, and I assisted with that effort in order to keep Greyback's teeth out of me. It's their only need for him, aside from controlling the wolves he's created. I pointed him in the direction of the families of defectors and those who wouldn't comply at each full moon. Hermione just gaped at Cormac unable to wrap her mind around how casually he was speaking about the horrors of his actions. He didn't care. The steady rise in Padma's wolves. Those who answered the call and those who returned wounded, broken, and horrified. Cormac shrugged as though lives hadn't been lost to save his own skin in the selfish pursuit of playing both sides. A few poisoned letters here and there. Hermione wondered if Molly was one. Finding poisoned artifacts, disguising them as gifts— Hermione's breath caught. Her heart stopped. Draco's fists tightened around his wand. Then released. They looked at one another. Now wasn't the time. Cormac continued. Taking an address from a sealed ministry file. You fucking bastard! Harry's wand was out in a second and pointed at unarmed Cormac. Hermione had never seen him so furious. So close to losing control. Not since he'd lost Voldemort's poisonous presence in his head and the darkness that clouded his heart. Cormac's only reaction was a tilt of his head. Nobody was hurt, and you should thank me for that. It was the wrong thing to say. Because of an impromptu trip to my in-law's house. You think I wanted to do that? Cormac's voice rose. They've been looking for you for years, and were getting bored with my information. I had to. Harry's spell pinned Cormac against the wall with a loud crash. The paintings trembled, ready to punish him, not with magic, but with his fist. Harry apparated across the room in a blaze of fury. Percy had to do the same to pull him off Cormac. Draco didn't move. Hermione barely had time to blink before it was over. Harry? Percy's tone was cool and direct, but his breathing was labored like someone using all their strength to stop an angry man from exacting revenge. He shook him once when he lunged at Cormac again. Go home. It's late. After shrugging out of Percy's grip, 
Harry wordlessly did just that. Slamming the door behind him so loudly, three paintings fell and shattered before their eyes. "'You deserve it,' Hermione frowned in disgust when Cormac dusted his shirt. "'And more.' Cormac cut his eyes to her. "'Are you going to draw your wand, too?' His voice was as arrogant as ever, but there was a slight hint of fear in his eyes. "'Not yet.' She crossed her legs, watching each action until he returned to his seat. "'I'll make a decision when we're finished.' Percy steered the conversation back. "'Are you still in contact with anyone?' "'Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. My main contact died in that park attack, but I have others who will answer my call.' Dark amusement spread across Cormac's features when his eyes shifted to Draco. "'They want to see your entire bloodline destroyed.' "'I'm aware.' Draco looked as bored as he sounded. "'Tell me something I don't know.' "'I tried to convince my uncle otherwise, but he insists you have something to do with the restoration.' Your arrival was the start of him noticing its existence. Well, that explained the attempt at firing him and all the interrogations. He's long suspected Percy of leading, but he's incorruptible, Cormac said. Malfoy isn't. Draco didn't dignify him with a response. Why now? Hermione couldn't keep quiet for another second. Why help now? Cormac turned his attention to her. Call it a change of heart. What heart? You don't give a damn about the people you've hurt. He's running scared. Draco's words were low and private, spoken only to her. The hand on her leg served as a temporary balm to cool her ire. I recognized the look. And Hermione recognized the meaning in his unspoken words. In himself. How long have you known, McLagan? he asked. The silent stare-down between Cormac and Draco was short-lived. Percy looked particularly dumbfounded. Known what? Tiberius wants his nephew silenced. Draco almost smirked. Permanently. How do you know? Cormac frowned. The only way you respond to my note and come here is if you had no other choice. Nowhere to go. No one to trust. No friends or family to protect you. Draco would know that better than anyone. Cormac's eyes narrowed and the corners of his mouth tightened. To answer your question, I suspected it after you took my memory. He found it suspicious that I'd simply lost a day and couldn't remember what I promised you I'd keep hidden. He couldn't figure out what you knew or what I'd told you. Hermione's eyes shifted to Draco. Cormac's downfall had started over something simple. Them. Together in the Ministry. I didn't know for certain until after we were unsuccessful at acquiring Hermione's memory of the hospital attack. And then Cormac's attention was on her. You know why. I didn't know then... Hermione shifted in her seat. Not until your uncle's persistence made me scour my memory for something I was too hurt and disoriented to notice. I never would have looked otherwise. Ultimately, this was his fault. Don't you see now? Cormac's chuckle was dry at best. All of this! Paranoid, greedy bastard! How'd you escape from the hospital? Percy asked. I took inspiration from Hermione and decided to leave on my own. Cormac shrugged. Disillusionment is the only spell I know how to cast wandless. I woke up a few days before I escaped. It was easy to pretend I was barely lucid. I kept trying to get Granger's attention, but she didn't notice. Nor was she ever left alone with me. Hermione remembered well. No one would allow it. What could I have done? Protect me? Cormac folded his arms, eyes turning scornful. I heard from one of the Mediwitches that the minister was visiting, and you wouldn't be around. I knew I needed to escape. He's an idiot, but he follows directions well. Why didn't you leave town? And let my uncle use me as a scapegoat? No. 
I went home, packed all the evidence I'd been keeping as collateral, and grabbed as much out of my Gringotts vault as possible. I tried to find you, but when I did, you were in the cemetery, and there were too many people. I was figuring out the best way to get you alone when I got Malfoy's note. The three of them exchanged looks. Cormac sat straighter in his chair, but kept running his hand through his hair. I thought you'd be able to figure out that I was faking, but you didn't. Then you didn't come with Padma on the last shift, and I... Your presence kept him away. He's terrified of you, as much as he is of Kingsley. Why? I'm not even in politics. I'm a healer. You truly don't understand your own power. Cormac shook his head. Power wasted on someone who doesn't want it. Hermione's jaw ticked. Draco's hand remained steady. You think your departure from the Ministry wasn't noticed? Whispers started the moment you quit. They were loud enough that his first idea was to lure you back. He sent me to complete that job, which led to years of irritating interactions. When that didn't work, he got tired of Theo's responses on your behalf. He went to see you himself and came back from your first meeting shaking. And when you threatened him in his office back in May, I'd never seen him more paranoid. Why? You're openly defiant, yet people respect you. He became fixated on keeping you out of matters. What better way to keep you out than to have a missing aura show up with a threat? He didn't plan it, but he knew you lived near Godric's Hollow, so take that how you will. Hermione was disgusted. Do they know now? Not an exact location, but if my uncle knew, so would they. Why me? He thought you would be his undoing. That you would find out first. When you were moving into the DMLE, you got a little too close for comfort on some of your reviews. And that was when you were doing the work of five. Imagine if you were only doing one job. You would have meddled. Greed cannot be the only motivator in all of this. Hermione shook her head. It can't be. Why not? Cormac leaned forward. Power and greed will make a man do anything. Even make someone forget about his family. For the first time, she saw the hurt in his eyes. The betrayal and damage from nearly being murdered by someone he looked up to. He had been a pawn, too, however spineless. But when stacked up alongside his crimes, what happened at Harry's house, Scorpius and the gifts, Molly, the wolves, and even though she didn't know who were scarred by his choices, Hermione was incapable of pity. Percy looked thoughtful. What changed? Greed traps us all. Cormac winced. Malfoy's right. Death Eaters wanted more than my uncle could give without raising further suspicion. They began pushing boundaries, overwhelming the auras whose resources and training had been limited for years, kidnapping the potions master to make him create an airborne poison, all of which was ignored in favor of keeping the agreement alive. But for how long? Draco paused. He had to know they were planning to take over the Ministry. He did, but the auras and task force were doing just enough to keep them preoccupied. War equals galleons. Even the joke shop saw consistently high sales of security items. Other companies as well. Having an enemy, perceived or real, is profitable. Draco's expression went blank. What happened? Your surprise raid my uncle knew nothing of led to... The executions. Draco paused for a tense moment. Your uncle lost his security blanket. It was a message for him that their deal was off. He's at risk just like everyone else, Hermione scoffed. This is our reality, and now it's yours. Tiberius's tyranny had led to paranoia. His newfound investment in the vaccine, closing himself in, everything she'd found so strange was beginning to make sense. It made him more unhinged. Cormac looked at Hermione. Your statement to the Wizengamot made you more dangerous in his eyes. I'm the prime example of my uncle's tendency to try and silence his problems. 
The Quidditch attack or the hospital? No, that wasn't about you. Not entirely, at least. And from what I heard, it was a disaster. Their plan was to destroy the production of the vaccine and take Theo, neither of which was accomplished. Hermione was speechless. Their mole got cold feet with all the errors that occurred. What errors? Percy didn't look up. The potion kept them all under almost two hours too long. Draco perked up, head tilting in curiosity. Hermione knew why. Potions and masters didn't make simple mistakes like that. She thought about the time. Almost two hours before, and she and Scorpius would have only just arrived. Things would have transpired differently, or not given her the opportunity to charge headfirst into danger. It was done on purpose by the potions master. Cormac leaned back in his chair. His act of defiance would have cost him his life the moment they figured it out, had he not died during Greyback's escape before they could heal him. Why was he there? Draco tipped his fingers. Was it... If I had to guess, to cause panic and fear, but they didn't account for the healers fighting back or that your presence would make everything go even further to shite. A chill settled in her bones. Years riding away in Azkaban with just one thought in his mind, one image, one person. He said you were supposed to be his. He once smelled you on me and... Fear crossed his eyes. Let's just say I'm not surprised Greyback abandoned the plan when he caught wind of you. Hermione felt sick. You both crashed in the room when I was trying to clean up my uncle's mess with our alliance. But that was a failure. My last one. He looked at her. What happened to you wasn't part of the plan, but my uncle wasn't upset by it. Too busy trying to cover his tracks. He thought he'd gotten rid of you for good, but he didn't. Hermione's fist tightened. I bet he was surprised to see me walk into the inquiry. More shocked when you walked out with your memories. Cormac looked at Percy. There's more. Much more. But I need to know how you plan to protect me after I tell you the rest. You'll be placed in protective custody. And Tiberius? Will he... He'll be brought to justice. Unable to remain seated a moment longer, Hermione rose from her chair. Not only for myself, but for everyone. You'll need to testify at your uncle's trial, but after that, he'll answer for what he's done. More than ever, she wanted to be there when it happened. A glance at Draco revealed him watching her. They all were. For what it's worth, a flicker of regret swept across Cormac's features, but he sighed and quickly looked away. I am sorry for what happened to you. No remorse for anyone else. It wasn't personal. Just business. Anger burned inside her. Every nerve, every cell. Rage boiled to the surface, ready to set fire to everything. But Hermione knew she couldn't. Not yet. Hermione inhaled deeply to temper her fury. Or she tried to. You're a coward, and immunity won't change that. You called Draco a monster for past sins when you're the worst sinner of all. One who knew the truth but turned a blind eye to it while benefiting from the lies. Then you have the gall to come running for help to save yourself. The laugh that tore from her hurt. Be happy it isn't up to me. If it were, you would be right next to your uncle. Burning. With her next exhale, Hermione reminded herself of the peace she'd made. But that wasn't enough to stop her from letting that fire of her fury blaze one last time by punching Cormac square in the jaw on her way out. Percy called her name, but Draco's words were the last she heard. Let her go. The library wasn't empty tonight. As Hermione meandered through the rows with her swollen hand tucked against her stomach, heads lifted, 
Eyes followed her, but nobody spoke. She was grateful, even if the privacy was false. There was no direction to the tide of emotions rising and falling within her, so she tried to center herself with the scent of old parchment and animal hide in the magical history section. Revive herself with the current of magic wafting off the pages in the section of ancient charms. Distract herself with the whispers and the lamenting wails of cursed books, and allow herself to be drawn to the colored smoke billowing from the pages of the potions texts. It was an entertaining experience shared by the other patrons milling about. Intriguing, yet Hermione couldn't enjoy it the way she wanted to. She was too deep in thought, mind racing through scene after scene, as she tried to pick out a moment she could have found the answer earlier. The idea of certain things being different left her agitated by the truth of her own helplessness, her own immunity. But the past was the past. No need to look back, as there was nothing she could change, nothing she could do except move forward. Hermione rubbed her temples and breathed. Attention didn't remain on her for long, but it did shift to another sight. A man at the center of the library in the most obnoxious Chesterfield armchair she'd ever seen. A man reading a book that emitted a sound like waves with each page he turned. A man who'd kept careful distance while she roamed the library like a caged animal. Like a king, Draco sat on his throne with his head up, spine straight, and perfect posture. He appeared to be entranced by the book, but Hermione knew better. She felt him watching her over the rim of his glasses. He was letting her stew, giving her space. It was bizarrely comforting. During the second hour, Hermione finally relaxed enough to seek Draco out, only to find he'd abandoned his seat and the odd book. She didn't feel him at her back until familiar hands rested on her shoulders. Follow me. They weaved through the shelves, passing people who now openly watched them. Draco's pace was slow enough to walk beside him, and she had a feeling about their destination before they arrived. The restricted section. The lights brightened as infinitesimal amount as she stepped in the room, just as they had last time. But when Draco tapped his wand at the wall, the glass darkened, no longer transparent. Clever. Hermione's eyes landed on the book she'd apologized to for dropping on her last visit, and she covered her smile with her unhurt fist as Draco shut the door. Leaning against the lone table, she said nothing, nor did she back away as he stepped into her space. His kiss was a welcome surprise, one Hermione gave into willingly, deeply. This was the moment she slowed long enough for her feet to touch the earth. As his mouth moved over hers slowly and hypnotically, the wounds of the day began to seal shut. Her mind softened, quieted. Draco's hands at her waist kept her steady, then drew her close. Patience and trust without urgency, no hint for more. Just lips against hers, muting the pain and drawing breathy sounds from her chest. Just the tip of his tongue taking her on a journey that circled through sentiments he didn't need to say. Support. Devotion. Love. After a long night, these were his offerings. Hermione held on in acceptance until Draco pulled back and scanned her eyes. His fingertips ghosted the side of her neck. Better? He murmured against her lips. She answered with a small nod before he stepped back just enough to take hold of the wrist she'd kept close to her. One punch left her skin red and her knuckles bruised and swelling. Does it hurt? No. Draco gave her a disbelieving look. A little. 
Her stubbornness, for once, amused him, and he rolled his eyes before extracting his wand. "'May I?' Draco wanted to heal her. "'Or I could call Bones over to yell at us both because you punched McLagan with your bad hand.' She cringed. "'When he put it like that—wait—' "'I thought you weren't good at healing charms.' "'Shut up.' Before a sarcastic retort could escape, the tip of his wand glowed pale yellow. The bruises faded. Swollen, angry skin returned to its normal shade, and the pain dissipated. Draco pocketed his wand, and the corner of his mouth lifted into a smirk. Hermione slowly opened and closed her fist. "'Where did they take him?' "'After Percy healed his nose, my team escorted him to a safe house in Wales.' There was a pause. He'll continue with the memory extraction, and the pensive will be used to review all the memories. Hopefully for more evidence and details he missed. Kingsley is currently being briefed, as is Hestia. Percy will brief both his legal team and the restoration members in the coming days. He's looking to make quiet arrests. There were few things she looked forward to less than having another meeting with the group. However, as much as they aggravated her— their pushiness was rooted in desperation to protect their work, the ministry, and in some cases, the general public from tyranny. It didn't justify their actions or the way they treated them, but Hermione understood it came from a place of concern. "'I'll skip the meeting, but if I'm needed—' I said, Percy, will brief the restoration. Draco's tone turned serious. "'We need a holiday.' "'What?' Hermione recoiled. "'There's too much happening to just—' "'That's exactly why we should.' The severity of his expression made her listen instead of argue. "'Officially, your job is done with the restoration. My task force is divided between patrolling for Death Eaters and Greyback, and preparing to begin the raids on safe houses with the auras disguised using Polyjuice. They know their assignments.' Draco shifted his weight. "'Percy has been building the case against Tiberius and the Minister all year. Now, with Cormac vowed and the evidence in his memories—' They can finally move. The Wizengamot doesn't control arrest warrants. It's too far beneath them. Besides, there are translated laws against delaying due process, and to install an interim minister, there would need to be a two-thirds vote from the Wizengamot. It's not impossible. No, but they can drag out a hearing date for months. They can, Draco chuckled, but they won't. And if they do, Percy won't be quiet about treason. There's a fine line to walk when making accusations against the two most powerful people in government. Which is why he won't be making the accusations. None of us will. I don't understand. Percy will quietly take this through the proper channels. But in exchange for Skeeter spying on Tiberius's private meetings, I promised her an interview on a topic of her choosing. Instead, I'll give her a portion of the evidence to release to the public. It's more interesting than any story she could write about me. It'll be an enormous story. Rita Skeeter would love it. That will prompt everyone to move, potentially the Death Eaters. She hadn't thought about it like that. But Harry will likely send his family to the borough for safety reasons. My mother will need to cancel all of her events and remain with my aunt. And we could stay home, limit our movement. I can't do magic outside of warded spaces. Greyback is locked on your scent, and you can't apparate for the time being. Our movement is severely limited as it is. There was a hint of brittleness in his voice that spoke loudly of what she already knew. He was tired, restless, in need of a little normalcy. Quietly, she could relate. Maybe they could compromise. 
We can't use magic if we do this. Hermione had his attention completely. Nothing that would track us. I doubt Greyback could scent me from far enough away. They could go out in the open. A simple luxury they hadn't done for security reasons. They had space at home, but there was nothing like exploring a new city with Scorpius without worrying about who or what was lurking. Time and space to just be. Something they hadn't had that much of since the morning under the olive tree. It's tempting. The chicks are preparing to acclimate them to the coop. Lovegood. She's already agreed to watch them all. She what? Wait, Hermione squinted at him. You've planned this. Aside from the date we'll leave, yes. Draco leaned closer. Is that a problem? No. She smoothed a wrinkle in her dress. I'm assuming you've coordinated everything. That's correct. A hand slipped into hers. It's a couple of weeks at the most, Granger. Okay. Hermione worried at her bottom lip, growing more and more excited with each passing moment. Where are we going? It's winter. We have a home in Chamonix my mother hates. France? We. December 8th, 2011. Hermione was an expert at goodbyes, but that didn't make it easier. The early morning parting with her parents in Dean and Daphne's living room was a mixture of emotions. Happiness while taking the first photo of her dad and Scorpius on her new mobile. A sobering emotion while discussing their arrangements with her mother during her dad and Draco's quiet conversation in the kitchen. Here are your tickets. The number to the embassy in Suva. Hermione fussed with her stack of papers, lining the edges in the folder just so. You have your passports, right? We do. She laid out the details of their arrangements. Money, transportation, the location of the keys in their Oceanside rental in Denarot, all of which had been meticulously arranged in a process filled with arguments. Draco was as extravagant as Hermione was sensible. He didn't blink twice about opulence, and because of this, everything required a compromise. It was getting easier. Safe travels, Mum. Their hug was stiff and awkward, but Hermione wasn't discouraged when she pulled away. Only comforted by the quiet ceasefire, the soft smile she gave to the polite yet distant Scorpius, and the whisper of progress in her farewell to Draco. Her mother shook his hand. Hermione waited until after Draco's farewell handshake with her father to hug him, and held on a little longer after his quiet observation. Happiness looks good on you. Draco handed each their now charmed wedding rings, which transformed them into different people once they slipped them on. Daphne and Dean took them to the airport with security, and once they were gone, Hermione felt like a weight had been lifted off her shoulders. It was the best goodbye they'd ever had. Draco returned to work for briefings and meetings and wouldn't be home until later, so Hermione spent the day with Scorpius. They walked around her property until even the warming charms couldn't keep the cold out, then laid in the dormant grass bundled up, pretending as if they were making snow angels. She made hot cocoa while they warmed up, and worked through a few lessons in his workbook before pivoting to sign language practice, which they both agreed was far more fun. Later, after dinner, an enwrapped Scorpius sat on the countertop and listened while Hermione told stories about herself and baked biscuits in the shape of stars. As they cooled, he arranged them into constellations he knew before they ate them together. They let the chicks run all over the conservatory on their last night in the brooder. Tomorrow they would be assimilated in the coop with the other three. "'What are their names?' Hermione asked curiously. Scorpius blushed, but pointed to each. One, two, three. 
<laughs> Perfect. Daddy helped. Of course he did, which was why all the terrarium plants had the same name. Granger. How can you tell them apart? Scorpius dimpled and shrugged. He couldn't. It was impossible to keep her grin contained. Bedtime came earlier than expected. A tired Scorpius fell asleep shortly after his bath, but a jingle from the charms she'd set meant he hadn't stayed asleep. Draped in his blanket and alert, Scorpius crawled into her lap and they talked quietly about his dream, though nightmare was a more apt term when thinking back to the day in the park. Eventually he fell back to sleep with the top of his head just under her chin, and whenever he stirred, she ran fingers through the soft blonde hair as a reminder that he was safe. An hour passed like that as her thoughts returned to an unlikely source. Cormac. The idea of his immunity was disrupting her peace. But Hermione didn't want to disturb the sleeping boy, so with the assistance of a featherlight charm, she put him back to bed and reset the warning charm. Halfway down the steps, she stopped, noticing Draco in the kitchen, his eyebrow rising slowly upon seeing her. Surprised you're awake. Just put Scorpius back to bed. A nightmare, but he's fine. She approached slowly, only just noticing that Draco had made them both a glass of water. How was the rest of your day? Busy. He took a sip, just enough to wet his mouth. Grayback tips led to two injured aurors, and with a full moon on the tenth, I've been arguing with Hestia about their use of non-lethal force if the need arises. There's always been the law. It's to stop aurors from killing alleged criminals without provocation, which was different from a rampaging werewolf. The law is going to get us all killed. I have half a mind to stop playing by their rules and tell my French team to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Draco exhaled before carting a hand through his hair. Also, I just left an impromptu restoration meeting. Percy broke the news and everyone had something to say about it. Is that what took so long? Yes. Admittedly, there was a lot to discuss, but everyone is on board. No issues from the usuals. Finding Cormac removed me from their shite list. Draco finished his water and placed his glass in the sink before backing her against the counter, trapping her in place with his hands on either side of her. Glass at her lips. Hermione didn't drink. Only watched. Something's off. Draco studied her closely. Did you talk to your parents? No. They'll probably land in an hour or two in Los Angeles to change planes. He made a small noise. And your day? Good, overall. I... She closed her eyes and took a deep breath. I really have made peace, but I think I'm still struggling with something. It's just... Scorpius's nightmares and all the long hours everyone is putting in feel like a steep price. And the idea of Cormac getting out of paying for any of that through immunity is hard to swallow. Hmm. I understand the greater good, and that we have bigger people to take down. But the idea of him being able to move forward without any consequences is... A lot of people suffered. Including you. Forever scarred, forever reminded forever changed. Draco curled his finger under her chin and tilted it up. There was something hard in his eyes. It matched hers. Immunity doesn't mean absolution. The low thrum of his voice and undercurrent of ferocity sent a shiver down her spine. There are always consequences, whether you see them or not. That's just it. The ability to express some of her more honest thoughts with him— however unpleasant, came easier with each passing day. I'm disgusted and furious. I want to see him pay. 
I... And you will. A promise. A guarantee. Desperation makes people sloppy and prone to mistakes. He pressed his thumb against the side of her neck like before, when there was evidence of how close they'd come to losing everything. How close he had come to losing her. Had McLagan trusted me with the vow, it would have been cleaner, more detailed. But he didn't. He picked who appeared to be the safest option. A dangerous smile played on his lips. But losing someone in war tends to make people like Percy more vindictive. What does that mean? McLagan doesn't know how the vow works, or he wouldn't have suggested it. He only asked for immunity in exchange for everything he knew. Knowledge can be manipulated and twisted. Hermione knew that lesson too well. He didn't specify how we could use what we learned, nor did he include a clause that we had to leave his name out, which explained why Draco kept quiet during the entire process. He let Cormac create his own loopholes, and Percy could have turned them into black holes. He didn't want to face charges for treason, and he won't. However, with the evidence we've provided for Skeeter to release, more evidence he has provided of his own, Percy wasn't bound to redact McLagan's name. There is the court of law, and then there's the court of public opinion, which was relentless, unforgiving, and had no appeals process. And with the problems of England reaching the eyes and ears of other countries, Cormac had nowhere left to run. Life as he knew it would be over no matter what happened next. It satisfied the fire inside of her, but only just. Finish your water. There was an edge in his tone, impossible to ignore. It put Hermione on alert. Without argument, she did as requested. Eyes trained on him all the while. She didn't even look away when she placed the empty glass on the countertop. Are you tired? Hermione unhooked his wand holster and let it fall to the floor. No. Gray eyes dipped to the narrow space between them. But you're still tense. I am. Did you set the charm for Scorpius? Hermione nodded as he dragged his thumb across her bottom lip once. Then again. His breath caught when she snaked her tongue out and licked the pad of his thumb before sucking it into her mouth, teeth lightly scraping as he slowly pulled it out. I did. Her hands were busy unbuckling his belt, intent on dropping to her knees the second she was finished. Fresh in her mind, the memory of Draco in rare form was haunting. Loud, with his head thrown back, coming in her mouth, grip twisted tight in her hair. It was a scenario she wanted to repeat. But, to her surprise, he had other ideas that left her naked and spread out on the island. Draco wasn't tired. He was hungry. Hands everywhere, stroking and teasing. All she could do was hum in anticipation while Draco kissed a line up her inner thigh. Stomach already clenched, every nerve flooded with sensation. Hermione arched into the hands playing with her nipple and rose up on her elbows. She needed to look, to watch, to touch. All thoughts scattered at the scrape of blunt teeth against her hip. Then he soothed the shock of pain and their eyes connected. Lie back, Granger. Is that an order? Yes. A defiant moment passed before she laid back again, and his reward was worth her obedience. His first taste was quick, nothing more than a simple swipe of his tongue along the line of her cunt. Then he came back for more. And more. Draco devoured her like she was his favorite meal. 
shifting her body to the perfect angle and taking his fill. Pleasure left her weightless. Waves of sensation forced her eyes closed, and she let herself be swept away by it all. Draco licked and sucked and fucked her cunt with the same tenacity she had for research, taking her with his lips and tongue until Hermione wondered if she could bear it for a second longer. But somehow, through it all, she craved more. Begged for it. Lost in the continuous assault on her body, everything was white noise except the unconscious sounds he made while he ate her cunt with fierce determination. Both hands gripped the island, her thigh shook, and her foot kept slipping until he bent her leg and slipped his tongue in deeper. Hermione howled. The closer she got, the more Hermione squirmed and gasped and quivered, but he held her down with a long lick that rolled her head from side to side. The praise slipping from her lips sounded like pleas. Chants, incantations, demands. Right with tension, teetering on the brink, just there. Hermione thanked him repeatedly for what was coming just before she did. It stole her breath and set her skin on fire with a pleasure so sharp it bordered on pain. She came down slowly, boneless, pliant. She nearly forgot about Draco until she heard the drag of his zipper, which made her sit up and take notice of the state he was in. Urgent. Hermione shoved his hands away from his open trousers, grabbed his tie, and brought his mouth to hers, tasting herself as she kissed him until his shaking hands calmed. Draco dropped his trousers, then his briefs, eyes closing when she took him in hand. He mouthed her neck, panting. Not like this. She didn't have to ask how he wanted her. Experience was the best teacher. Bent over the countertop, she arched her back and got into a position she knew he liked. Looking back over her shoulder, she smiled. What are you waiting for? Cheeky tonight, aren't we? The contrast of the cool island on her palms and the warmth of Draco's hands made her tingle. A quick smack on her arse cheek surprised her, though it was nearly forgotten in the frenzy that led to the blunt head of Draco's cock sinking inside her. Both groaned at the angle, the tightness. No more foreplay. Nothing but this. Them. Draco held her in place, soft pants and moans coming from them both as he used her body for both their pleasure. With her eyes closed, Hermione loved the way he felt at her back, breath on her neck, lips ghosting her shoulder. She loved the way he shook when she urged him on, and the way she didn't need to look to know he was focused on her. You feel... fuck. Like heaven. Like home. Like a high she didn't want to come down from. She never let him finish, clenching around him tight enough to make him shout. Exhaling raggedly between clenched teeth, her heart raced as his hips moved in cadence to the frantic rhythm they set. It felt incredible, like no time had passed before she was teetering on the brink again, unable to hold back. Not when Draco's teeth were on her neck, humming as if lost in a dream. Not when she could feel the power and tremble of each thrust deep in her cunt. Not when Draco froze and swore low and long in an attempt to keep his composure. But she wanted him to break. Draco pulled out, turned her around, and sat her on the edge. He was inside of her again in a flash, holding nothing back. Frantic, sloppy strokes came one after the other as they both raced toward mutual release. Maybe it was the way she made him look at her, with her hand gripping his chin. Maybe it was his quiet praise urging her on, with his forehead pressed against hers. 
Maybe it was the span of seconds, when their lips brushed, trading inhale for the other's exhale like water straight from an enchanted tap. Whatever it was, when Draco broke, the sound he made shattered her as well. Drained of all energy, he dropped his head onto Hermione's shoulder, panting into her skin as she held on, not trusting herself to move. Warm and loose-limbed, Draco kissed her slowly, drawing out a soft sigh that made him smile against her lips. This was another memory she wouldn't mind repeating. December 9th, 2011 Cool sheets drew Hermione from their bed and down the stairs just before four in the morning. She was dressed, not knowing what to expect, and rightfully so, because in the kitchen she found an odd sight. Draco and Narcissa. Talking. His mother had been there for a while, given the tea he'd made Narcissa, and the teacup off to the side. It didn't appear to be hostile territory. Their body language was easy to read, a tempering hand on Draco's arm a patient expression on Narcissa's face. The depth of eye contact meant she was trying to get him to see her point, but Draco's defensive stance and eye-roll, while not dismissive, meant he didn't want to discuss the topic. Their barely audible discussion came to an abrupt end when her foot creaked on the step, forcing her to make a quicker entrance than intended. "'Good morning,' Hermione ignored Draco's smirk. Surely he found her failed attempt at stealth humorous." "'Narcissa, it's been a while since we've had you over.' "'Time seems to pass quicker these days,' she patted her son's arm. "'At any rate, my apologies for my absence. I have not felt like myself.' Hermione knew. They both read Charles' daily report. Though no longer her healer, that didn't stop Hermione from caring about her treatment and progress. Nor did it stop the flu calls to an amused Charles, checking on Narcissa's progress each day. Or the calls with Andromeda.' Being a caregiver was difficult, especially since they were entering rough waters. Hermione wanted to make sure she was okay, but each time they spoke, there was a calmness in Andromeda. I'm not alone. Still, per the reports, Narcissa's behavior had gone through wild swings. She'd been furious about having to cancel her society plans for the coming weeks, due to security concerns, but a greyback sighting too close for comfort had tempered her fury. Then she forgot about the incident altogether and was angry again. Bouts of uncontrollable sadness, incidents of forgetfulness and confusion, and a three-day spell of tremors that kept her from gardening with Neville. It warranted a quick meeting about the potion, and left them agreeing to experiment with an additional muscle-relaxing potion. So far, it worked, and that opened the possibility for other tweaks to the experimental potion. Today was obviously a better day, given her perfect appearance in grey robes and curled hair, which directly contrasted Hermione's bedhead. Draco used her appearance to create an exit, apologizing with a kiss on Hermione's cheek on his way out to check the house. Or swim, bastard. We will continue this conversation, Draco. I'm certain we will, mother. He disappeared in a rush of green flames, leaving Hermione alone with Narcissa for the first time since she'd quit her position. The ensuing silence wasn't uncomfortable, but she found herself at a loss for words. "'May I braid your hair?' The slow, careful question was just what they needed to break the ice. Up the stairs and through the bedroom, Narcissa ignored all signs of cohabitation. Once seated, she fussed over Hermione's tangles in front of the vanity, and twenty minutes later she was finished, flexing her hands a bit pained, but happy with her work, albeit relieved that she could still perform the task." 
"'Your hair is getting longer, Miss Granger.' She touched the braid. "'I might ask Pansy to cut it back to the original length.' "'Why?' Narcissa was aghast. "'It's much easier to manage, lighter and healthier. I like it a lot.' Draco hadn't said as much, but over the last few weeks, or months, she'd picked up subtle hints that he liked it short. It had nothing to do with her final choice, but it was nice to know. "'I suppose it suits you.' Narcissa said little else before suggesting they garden together. It had been ages since their last time, but she wasn't dressed for the occasion, and Hermione's wrist was a bit sore. With a growing suspicion of Narcissa's desire to talk, she suggested a walk through the greenhouse before breakfast instead. The greenhouse's warmth was comfortable, as was the silence as they meandered. Side by side, they wandered through rows of colorful flowers and hardy plants, weaved in and out of the indoor garden with strawberry sprouts and blueberry bushes flowering out of season, around the empty space where the ground was tilled and ready to plant whatever was needed, and made their way back to the trees that lined the back. The lemon and mango trees were producing more than they could ever use. Hermione made no mental list waiting patiently for a sign the other witch was ready to talk, but the only sounds came from the speakers and soft tap of Narcissa's heels. Much like Draco, she walked with her hands clasped behind her back, but her eyes were everywhere, pensive yet quietly enjoying the sight and scent of life all around them. Narcissa had dedicated hours of her life and time to ensure the survival of the things she saw growing. It was a place she cared for, just as much as Hermione did. Only when they circled back to the olive tree did Narcissa step off the path and into the dirt, placing a hand on the gnarled, twisted trunk before looking up. Planted here, brought out of stasis, and now it is growing, visible for all to see. Some may even call it a miracle. It's from, I know. My son is much more like his father than he would ever like to admit. The Malfoy men favor bold gestures over words more often than not given as a symbol of Draco's affection, or so I have been told. When she rejoined Hermione on the path, they fell into step together. Has he defined what courting means? It is more traditional than you would like. He has, but we're not going about this the traditional way. No announcements in the society papers, no agreements or binding contracts, no dowries. Their order and everything bucked against tradition, but this felt right. I see... Narcissa was holding her tongue. There are some aspects that he wishes to preserve, but we haven't had those conversations yet. Hermione's confession loosened some of the tension from Narcissa's shoulders. He isn't burning tradition away, but he is choosing which he will incorporate it going forward. That is reasonable. Hermione smiled as they continued on. Each step forward brought the true Narcissa Malfoy out of her shell. I do wonder if I will live to see the olives slightly thinner, with a sharper cut to her jawline. She was still the definition of timeless beauty and grace. Her spirit would never become as fragile as her body. I am not certain I will remember if they do. Hermione didn't know what to say, so she kept quiet and just listened. Perhaps I should not say what I had in mind when I arrived and not asked for more. She didn't understand, but over the last few months she learned that sometimes it was better to let things go. I will say that in these last few weeks, even with the Death Eater attacks and how busy he has been, Draco is more content and focused. Happier, too. He is exasperated with me, but it is not out of anger. He smiles. And so did Narcissa, however briefly. 
I, I have not seen him like this in years. But whatever was on her mind made her somber. My understanding has come too late, I am afraid. Why do you say that? Each memory outside those captured in the pensive will be lost. Andromeda recently told me of Lucius's birthday. I do not remember Scorpius sharing tangerines with me. She sounded hurt and regretful. He is warming to me, yet I do not remember most of our interactions. But he does, Hermione said with a gentle conviction. At least that made sense of her overall awkwardness with her grandson. How are things with Draco? We are speaking more, which was progress as far as Hermione was concerned. I have not had the heart to tell him that my hallucinations have returned. Charles leaves this out of the reports at my request. Narcissa didn't look up. She actually looked rather content. Then Hermione remembered who she would see. Lucius, forever at her side. Hermione listened with an open mind, and kept quiet while making mental notes as Narcissa waded through the pools of thoughts she trusted her with. Lucius talks to me. Her voice was as distant as her blue eyes. He says nothing is promised, not even tomorrow. If hallucinations are not real, why does he speak the truth? She took Narcissa's hand. Lacing their fingers together was just enough to bring her from her mind with a sharp gasp. My apologies. Narcissa pulled her hand away and brought her fingers to the side of her head. Don't apologize. Walk with me. Hermione led the way down a different aisle, where the plants thinned out to empty patches of dirt. Homes for the future. All the way in the back, in its own large space, was not only the growing apothecary's rose she'd propagated, but also several other clippings and pots with entire bushes shrunken and lined in row, all in stasis. There had to be over forty, all different shapes, sizes, and types. Behind them were the replanted trellises from the conservatory Neville had convinced her to move. Narcissa turned to find Hermione standing still a few paces behind. "'Oh, I hope you don't mind, Miss Granger. Since you had some extra room, I asked Mr. Longbottom to create a new rose garden here.' Narcissa said nothing else, only walked the length of the table observing each species had taken from the manor's garden. Roses. Narcissa had once said they were history, tradition, and a universal language, yet Hermione couldn't help but see them as a symbol of progress.' Each type and generation was unique, much like the Malfoys themselves. Whatever she was about to say was halted by a jingle. Narcissa even turned at the sound. Scorpius was out of bed. "'Come,' Hermione offered. "'Stay for breakfast. I'll make you porridge.' The offended look on Narcissa's face made her smile at a time long past. She never had quite warmed to the porridge. "'Or, if you'd rather, I can make you an omelette.' "'That sounds much more appealing.' December 11th, 2011. Hermione was drawn from sleep with a touch. The lights were dimmed, but there was no mistaking Draco sitting on the edge of the bed. A quick glance out of the window told her it was too dark to be any hour close to decent. Yawning and wiping her eyes, Hermione half sat up, squinting at the tired man who was still dressed for his day, right down to the wand holster. "'Have you packed for France?' The question woke her fully. "'I did it yesterday.' both for Scorpius and herself. Their belongings were in her beaded bag. What's going on? If we leave within an hour, we'll be in Paris by mid-morning. With that, Draco rose and went into the closet, emerging with a bag that appeared already packed. The driver is ready. Security is standing by. 
and another team will take us to the property in the city, where we'll flew to the house in Chamonix. Why now? I've just finished the interrogations from the playground attack and completed my report. I've set everything up to begin raids on the hideouts we know of. News is set to break in the morning about the minister in Tiberias. Your involvement in St. Mungo's attack is going to be back to the public's attention in an entirely new light, given the headlines coming out in the next few days. A list of victims and the families of all the attacks over the years will be made public, and Skeeter managed to get an interview with the Mather's family for the front page. She froze. Shite! A volcano of information was about to erupt, and Draco was getting them out of the blast radius. Hermione was out of bed in moments, looking for something to wear. Arrest warrants? We'll likely go out soon after. Potter will keep us informed. Kingsley? As ready as he can be. The Restoration members will fan the flames by turning over records of Tiberius's attempt to circumvent the rules of government and their departments to the public. Classified information will be redacted, of course. They've been preparing since Percy told them. Hermione let out a low whistle. The attack would be sudden and swift now that their priorities were in order. She dressed in layers, and was leaving to do the same for Scorpius when Draco caught her arm. A quick kiss later, and he let her go. Scorpius slept through the entire process that ended with them on the way to Paris, in a private train car heavily monitored by the security team, and the little boy only woke when breakfast was delivered. To her surprise, they had options for him, but Scorpius stuck to fruit, eggs, and toast. His routine. When he looked out the window and didn't see nature, Hermione took the lead, explaining that they were in the English Channel in the tunnel, which didn't interest him in the least. He spent the rest of the trip coloring or peeking at his dad's crossword puzzle. It earned Scorpius a quirked brow from Draco, which made him grin sheepishly. But then Draco let him write the letters in for him, with a hand on his small shoulder, pointing and guiding him through murmured directions. Scorpius beamed at the promise of a book and a pen of his own, while Hermione bit her nail to hide her smile. A future with both doing crosswords at the breakfast table was something she didn't know she needed. Draco caught her staring. What? Nothing. She stopped holding back her smile and exhaled a sigh, shoulders relaxing every kilometer they put between themselves in London. You were right. It feels good to get away. When they emerged from the tunnel, it was daylight. Scorpius sat on his father's lap to look out the window at the world passing them by until it lulled him back to sleep. They arrived in Paris, and Draco freely took her hand as they left the train station, flanked on all sides by their security detail. She almost recoiled at the easy display, but remembered, nobody knew them here. She threaded their fingers together and didn't let go. Not even once they were inside the hired car waiting for them. The security team was escorted as well, and it occurred to Hermione just how unusual this would all have felt a year ago. Three sleek black cars waiting at a train station, with impeccably dressed drivers waiting on their arrival, would have felt like overkill. But now she was grateful for the foresight and coordination. The driver, a squib who'd met them with a sign with just an M on it, had greeted Draco with a nod, but once they were inside, the two started speaking in rapid French for the ride into the city. Scorpius, like the last time he'd been in a car, took advantage of the booster seat to look out of the window at the landmarks as they passed, marveling at each. But this time, Hermione was looking too. It had been years since she'd last been here. The car slowed to a stop in front of apartments in the heart of Paris. The security team got out first, positioning themselves on either side of the car, and Hermione had to admit their steady presence eased her nerves. 
Draco made them wait in the car while he activated the wards, bringing the home into view. Not long later, the three of them were standing in the foyer, lights turning on upon their entrance. More familiar with the place, Draco and Scorpius were several paces ahead of Hermione, with a clear direction in mind. But she took her time looking around as she wandered through the space she'd only imagined. It was old, very old, and stale. Empty. Curiously, though, there wasn't a speck of dust in sight. The contrast to their London home was jarring. Used to neutral tones and emptiness, it took a minute to imagine Draco and Scorpius here, where the walls were heavy with history, and the ambiance somber. Little cracks in the walls, chips in the molding, floorboards that creaked, and hinges that shrieked. The dim lights gave the home a haunted glow that highlighted the antique architecture and paintings on the wall. Hermione passed rooms with covered furniture, what looked like a harp and a piano draped with sheets, and low-hanging covers from the ceilings to protect the chandeliers. Large windows were covered with thick fabric to block out the sun. All were measures of preservation, yet she couldn't help but wonder if the intent wasn't also to help forget. Taking the coiled iron stairs with no direction in her mind, her steps reverberated in the silence. Upstairs was a reflection of the floor beneath. She looked one way, then the other. Something felt off, but she couldn't quite put her finger on it. A chilling awareness prickled the edges of her senses. Almost by accident, Hermione found Draco and Scorpius in the bedroom at the end of the hall. Most of this room's furniture was covered except the canopy bed beneath two large windows and a sofa against the only bare wall. She knew where she was without being told. Astoria's room. Hermione approached the open double doors rather than retreat. Draco and Scorpius stood together on the terrace, looking out at the gardens below. The little boy's hands and face were pressed against the iron bars, while Draco kept a hand on his shoulder, eyes downcast. Winter had stripped the greenery of life from the gardens, but there was still beauty to be found. A few shrubs and bushes decorated the terrace. Carefully kept, they looked unremarkable, except the two pots Scorpius kept peeking at. He was building his nerve. An exchange look with Draco told her he recognized it as well. Two dormant plants, alone. A fleur-de-lis and the lily of the valley. Finally, he tugged on his dad's hand to get his attention he already had, signing slowly. Can we take them? Symbols from his first home that he wanted to take to his new home. Draco answered before she could with a raised fist. Yes. They had just finished packing them carefully in her bag when a harried, fully-dressed house-elf appeared with a slight pop. "'Master Malfoy!' The elf remembered himself, then bowed low. His accent was odd. "'Speak naturally, Pupke. Informal.' Oh, crap, it's French. I'm not editing that last part out because I don't speak French and the elf starts speaking French, so go with it. Hermione knew little French, only able to pick up fragments of an apology. The elf took a breath and appeared ready to continue, maybe even punish himself, but was rendered silent when Draco lifted his hand. Draco slipped into the language effortlessly. She had the decency not to stare. Mostly. Smooth, deep, and refined, he was far more attractive speaking French than she remembered. Hermione averted her gaze away as Draco continued. It was easier to pay attention to his tone and rhythm, rather than pick out the odds and ends of words she barely understood. But then a hand dropped to her back, and she felt him step closer in a move that returned her focus to the conversation. The elf was looking at her with an expectant smile. 
lips ghosted her ear. Introduce yourself. Instinct made her turn to him, eyes falling to his lips before sneaking back up and meeting his gaze. There were more than questions in them. Intrigue? A quick breath escaped before she smiled at Pupke. I'm Hermione, she offered her hand. It's a pleasure to meet you. But the elf only bowed lower before addressing Draco once more, again, in French. It was clear his question was about her. None. Only then did his hand move. Then something else in French. <laughs> Papi looked so excited Hermione had to ask. What did you say? He wanted to know if you were to be called mistress. Draco slipped his hand into his pockets. I told him not at the present moment. What was so exciting about that? Hermione didn't know, nor did she have a chance to inquire before the now-exuberant elf launched off in rapid French. She couldn't keep up if she tried. Papke turned to Scorpius and said something that made the shy little boy smile slowly, then nod, leaning on her leg. He understood. She was the only one who didn't. Papke was momentarily shocked by Scorpius's responsiveness, but it brightened his spirits even more. Then he made dramatic gestures until they started following him on what felt like another tour. Only during each stop in each room, the very chatty elf spoke exclusively to Draco. According to Draco, who noted her confusion and began to translate, Popke had a long list of renovation ideas and work that needed to be done, things that couldn't be repaired by magic. The question that had turned Scorpius bashful had been in relation to his height, and if he wanted to be as tall as his father one day. All in all, the tour took over half an hour, and Scorpius ended up in an antique chair with a very large book in the process. Once Popke left with a snap of his fingers to alert the elves in the Chamonix house of their impending arrival, Hermione turned to Draco, who pressed a hand against a bare stretch of wall. He pulled it back before balling it into a fist. Hermione caught her second chill since entering the home. Is that from... The room? Yes. It's sealed, but I imagine in a year or so I'll need to reinforce the security. Or... She placed a hand on his arm. We can turn it over to the French Ministry. You don't need the reminder any more. Her words hung heavy between them. Draco was unreadable, but the tension bled from him through the ensuing silence. You're right. They continued walking, now arm in arm, and the weight Draco had seemed to carry since stepping into the house lightened with each step. Popke returned in a blur of excited French that Draco responded to patiently before the elf vanished again. What just happened? It seems they're preparing a welcome feast. Hermione made a face. So you have a staff of elves at homes you don't live in. Are you going to lecture me about your house elf agenda? What was it called? R-O-U-X? Rue is a mixture of flour and fat. Hermione bit her lip. S-P-E-W is the Society for the Promotion of Elvish Welfare. And let's not forget that I was instrumental in the... I'm aware. Draco's smirk was growing to full strength. You brought England up to the rest of the world's standards. My father never cared to live here because he felt the laws were too lax. He believed he could treat them however he wanted without penalty. I'll admit, I was raised to be no better. She thought of Dobby. How did that change? How else? Astoria. He looked wistful as they continued walking, making their way downstairs. My mother ignored my father's cruelty, despite never being as terrible. It took a few years, but I learned respect as a higher motivator than fear. That was true. Had I given notice, Popke would have had this house prepared, too, but I didn't want that. 
Why not? We're not staying. It would have been too much trouble. Hermione thought about it longer. Why not set them free? Setting them free for no reason could be considered negligence, and they're dependent on us for their livelihood. Draco was looking ahead, his stride matching hers. They don't value freedom in the way you think of it. They are servants, yes, but they aren't servile, and have been with my family for generations. Occasionally there is one who is different from the rest. If they request freedom, I grant it. He looked around. However, Papke is right. What? I should consider renovating. Draco was trained on a flaw in the wallpaper border, frowning as he touched it. I could demolish everything, right down to the bones, and rebuild. Perhaps I could change the layout and modernize. What do you think? It's your home. Hermione spotted imperfections in the ornate crown molding and shrugged. You're free to do as you wish. Let's revisit my definition of courting. One outcome. That meant that one day... If designing any one of your ancestral homes was left to me, it won't matter that your mother has accepted me. She'll have a conniption fit. Hermione snorted at the thought of Narcissa's judgmental glares, as well as her snide comments. Her disappointment would be palpable. The corner of Draco's lips quirked. Your ancestors would roll in their graves. I'm certain they already are. Draco gestured to the empty grand room where Scorpius had abandoned his book and was peeking under the sheet that covered the piano. I'll admit I'm liberal in some areas of tradition and rigid in others. Make a decision, Granger. Hermione expressed her lack of desire to do so with a glare, but Draco only stared back patiently, leaning against the wall. His eyes traveled from her to Scorpius, whose curiosity he was monitoring silently, ready to intervene when needed. With a sigh, she crossed her arms. You're not letting this go, are you? No. Fine, addressing the room. She let her thoughts shuffle quickly before settling on her response. A modern update would be nice, but not every change could be considered an improvement. My mother has rubbed off on you. Not exactly. I just have a better understanding. Draco's stare was endless, as though he could do this for days, weeks, or an eternity. Well, so could she. After dining at a restaurant with a panoramic view of Paris, they spent the day in the city streets. And though Draco didn't care much for Paris, he indulged both Hermione and Scorpius. All bundled up and discreetly monitored by the security team at all times, the three of them climbed the stairs of the Arc de Triomphe, warmed up during a movie at La Pagoda, and visited a few small museums before wandering through the Christmas market. By the time they arrived by flu to the Malfoy's Chamonix home, it was sunset, and a full spread consisting of an array of local dishes had already been prepared by two elves, Tuki and Wamsi, who greeted them enthusiastically alongside Popki. The elf from the city home had decided to spend the visit here with them as well. They didn't get many visits, so they went all out. With Zippy, Hermione found a common ground, but the elves here were different, and it was hard to connect with them when she couldn't speak the language. A translation charm would be especially useful, but even though the house was warded, Using magic in any form was a risk they weren't willing to take with the chaos currently happening back home in London. Draco tried to warn her when her first attempt at helping went awry, but he gave up with a chuckle, kissed her, and carried Scorpius to bed. A half hour later, after making two elves cry and offending all three with her desire to clear the dishes, Hermione had a headache from apologizing in broken, simple French phrases. 
then over-explaining in English before she finally stopped and let the hysterical house-elves handle everything. The three elves thanked her when she left. Hermione took her time wandering around the home. Compared to the house in Paris, the chalet was larger, something of a sprawling yet secluded cabin. High ceilings, impressive woodwork and architecture, more rooms and bathrooms than needed, yet the kitchen was warm, the library solarium was cozy, and there were balconies off every room that afforded one stunning view of the French Alps after the next. She liked it far better than she had anticipated. Draco found her on the balcony just off their bedroom. Bundled up, she watched the last vestiges of sunset stain the sky amber in the west behind the backdrop of snow-capped mountains. It was beauty beyond description and human control. Hermione was in awe, content watching the stars emerge while breathing in crisp mountain air that smelled of pine and earth. The plume of her exhale was still visible when Draco hugged her from behind. She leaned back against him. When you said mountains, I expected snow, not more cold. It was freezing, but they'd committed to no magic on this trip, and without a warming charm, she found the chill oddly liberating. Her senses were sharper and more focused, alert. Snow falls higher in the mountains. Down here, it's less common. For several minutes, they basked in the silence that rejuvenated her spirit and quieted the static noise and frenetic energy from the last days and weeks and months. I see why you prefer it here. You might be on to something. How strange was it to miss a place even before she left. We should visit the town, maybe sightsee, but not tomorrow. We deserve a lazy day. And then he says something in French. Hermione didn't know what he asked, but the question was low and not at all tentative. Whether she shivered from the cold or him, it didn't matter. She could hear his smile, and though she couldn't see him, all she could imagine was him biting his lower lip to keep his smug huff quiet. You like that? Interesting. No sense in denying it. I do. My offer to teach you is still open. A gloved hand slipped under her shirt. She shut her eyes. We can start with what you just said. A bit advanced. His hand ventured higher, exposing her stomach to the elements. It means, and what about the rest of tonight? How about we pause the lesson for tonight? I spied a sauna on my tour that's worth exploring first. Turning in his embrace, she sought out his cold lips, gentle at first, then deeper. It'll be therapeutic. And then... We'll indulge. December 18th, 2011. Days passed slowly, yet a week went by too quickly, blurring like the tops of trees in a snowstorm. Mornings before Scorpius rose were spent by the hearth, and it was a good thing their supply of flu powder seemed endless. Flu calls from home were frantic with details about the chaos occurring in the ministry following Rita Skeeter's exposés. There were protesters in the atrium, and the crowd was growing by the day. And not to anyone's surprise, both the minister and Tiberius were, like Greyback, in hiding. Harry was confident he'd find them soon. There were status reports and impromptu strategy sessions Hermione listened in on, and sometimes she even made suggestions. Updates from Charles and Andromeda about Narcissa, vaccine briefings from Theo, and check-ins with Ginny to discuss the school visits were fairly regular. Every few days, Susan touched base with her therapy exercises. Padma wanted to talk about anything other than the wedding. Pansy wanted to gossip, and Luna was all too excited to deliver news of how the chicks were acclimating to the coop. 
They're family now. But after breakfast, they put everything away, closed the flue, and spent the days together. They took Scorpius to leisurely hike through the park and to the ice caves where pieces of history were etched for all to see. He'd been more interested in the animals they happened upon and paid attention through the guide's talks on conservation. Hermione picked up bits of everything through Draco's translations. She was learning the language through experience rather than books, which was in and of itself an experience. An experiment. They dined in town each day, and Scorpius enjoyed the assortment of cheese his dad could not tolerate. Her sympathy pats on the shoulder were met with scowls, which made them both laugh. Scorpius had no interest in skiing, but when they had passed a children's climbing class on their third day, they ended up detouring after he asked if they could go inside. Hermione got a chance to watch Draco look on proudly during his son's first lesson, and the next day during his second, then his third. The healer and Hermione cringed at how quickly Scorpius had taken to the sport, how much he loved it. She saw falls and scrapes, cuts and broken limbs, but looking a little closer, she saw the reason Draco went about purchasing child-sized harnesses, gear, and seemed to consider logistics in creating a practice while at home. A happy boy, an independent boy, and, like Draco, she would indulge anything that made his face light up the way climbing did when he grabbed his first few handholds and turned his head back to make sure they were watching. There was no fear in sight. Each night they ate dinner made by the elves at the chalet, and after, Draco began teaching Scorpius wizard's chest while Hermione lounged, read, and pretended to watch with interest she didn't have. "'Show me the most important piece.' Scorpius chose the king. "'That's correct. Now show me the weakest.' He picked up the pawn. "'Now here's your next lesson.' Draco accepted the piece from his son, who hung on his every word. "'Don't ignore the pawn.' "'Why not?' Hermione asked. She'd been pretending to read Percy's update, but the sight of Scorpius standing between his father's legs, learning a game that would play together, stole her attention. She couldn't help but watch. "'I didn't think you cared for chess, Miss Granger.' "'I'm terrible at it. Never bothered to learn. When I play, I sacrifice all my pawns immediately. I figured it was the right thing to do.' "'And that's why you lose.' Draco's eyes rose to hers, a flare of unmistakable heat." before returning to Scorpius. Pawns form an army, and their strength is in numbers. All the other pieces have their roles from the start, but the pawn is the only one that can promote into anything you want it to be. He picked up another piece. Even a queen. Other times, he painted or wrote notes back and forth to Albus. Scorpius giggled and brought the parchment over to Draco, who looked long-suffering. On the parchment, in Al's messy handwriting, were three words. Hi, Uncle Draco. To Narcissa's surprise, Draco called her through the flu each night, and talked to both his aunt and mother at length. Any incidents around the house? None, but enough about that, Andromeda paused. How are your mountains? Quiet. Just what they needed. I, the Paris house, I'm thinking of restoring it. "'I thought you would surely rip out the history.' Narcissa sounded dry as usual. "'I've been convinced otherwise.' "'That's intriguing.' His mother was quiet for several moments. "'Is Miss Granger loitering about?' "'Yes.' Only then did Draco cut his eyes to her in the doorway. "'She may as well join us, then.' Today they decided to use the fireplace for the first time outside of communication. The temperature was forecasted to dip low that night— it was going to snow, 
and there were fingerprints on the glass from Scorpius alternating between painting and watching the sky for signs. She and Draco were on the sofa, fresh from their debate on a topic she could hardly remember. Hermione leaned against him, sneaking glances at the book he was reading. His arm was around her, and her hand was curled in his as French music poured from the wireless. Something pleasant and slow, but she was hardly paying attention, too busy looking at the schedule for Healer Academy. "'I could start in March or September. Both give me plenty of time to relax and reorient.' Draco closed the book. "'Do you want my opinion?' "'Yes.' "'March.' "'Oh?' She hadn't expected that. "'You'll be bored by September.' "'No, I—' Hermione stopped when he gave her a long look. Nine and a half months is a long time, especially given six months of courses plus another year of apprenticeship she'd likely be doing in tandem with her new position. "'You're already bored, and it's only been a month.' "'I'm not bored. I'm just used to being busier.' "'Bored.' Hermione worried her lip with her teeth. "'Okay, fine. Maybe I am a little bored.' I've made a list of tasks to complete before I start school, organizing the stores, gathering the ingredients, cleaning the cauldrons, and a few, or a dozen, other things, too. I also might have asked Padma to order the required reading for my first set of courses. Draco just blinked at her. I do realize how mad I sound. You said it, Granger, not me. I could cut my list in half, Hermione frowned. Save the other half for after the first term, maybe? Or I could... Draco's attention shifted. Scorpius was approaching. After sitting up and curling his feet at her side, she welcomed the little boy holding a canvas of his artwork carefully facing himself, but not close enough to smudge the paint. All finished? Can we see? Draco put his glasses on just in time for Scorpius to turn around the canvas. A familiar blush began to spread. There were at least twenty stick figures, all drawn with black paint, and the only thing distinguishing them were their hair colors. A few reds, blondes, blacks, and browns. One turquoise that made Hermione instantly grin. Is this everyone? Family, he whispered, shuffling from foot to foot, until Draco gestured for him to come closer. He did so obediently and offered his father the canvas. She and Draco held one side of it in each hand, looking at it together. Hermione recognized herself and Draco. They were in the center on either side of what appeared to be Scorpius, Identifying everyone was simple, but there were a few things she didn't understand. The sun is smiling. Mummy, he signed slowly. Oh. Hermione blinked, but shielded her surprise. She's happy? Scorpius nodded, completely sure of himself. A look passed between her and Draco. There were no words. Nor were there any when she noticed next to her was someone with brown hair. Is that Halia? Scorpius shook his head pointed to the dark-haired stick figure next to Dean and Daphne. Ah. Oh. Then, brother, he signed with a small, pleased look. Whose? Hermione asked slowly. He pointed to himself. Mine. Next to her, Draco's eyes went wide. Then he coughed, choking on air. She was in a similar state of shock, but managed to keep a straight face for the innocent-eyed Scorpius. I love it. For the next hour, they went through this bedtime routine and talked about their plans to visit the pet shop in town. Draco read from their latest book until his son dropped off. Hermione tucked him in, turned on the projector, and left the sleeping boy to his dreams. 
They ended up in the cellar, picking from the old bottles of rare wine before returning to the solarium, now in front of the fireplace on blankets. Hermione had her first glass of wine in months, and it was lovely. A local Chardonnay. She was surprised when Draco poured himself a glass, too. "'You don't like wine?' "'I don't, but we have no whiskey here.' He wanted to talk. "'Is this about what Scorpius said?' "'Yes.' Draco swirled the contents of his glass around before taking his first sip. "'It made me realize we probably should have had this discussion sooner rather than later. I know it's been a month, but—' For all the push and pull and internal debates, even with their squabbles, this had been far easier than anticipated. "'What are you thinking?' Draco's question was quiet, uncertain. "'I haven't really thought about it, but perhaps it's one of those topics we should visit to set expectations. Do you even want more children?' "'I'm still figuring things out with Scorpius. We're better, but I have a lot to make up for,' which was incredibly valid. I never considered the possibility because there wasn't one. But now... Astoria's pregnancy was... He tried to find the words to express what Hermione already knew, and ended up running a hand through his hair. Difficult isn't the word to describe it. It was a special circumstance. I'm fully aware each is different. Daphne's was a lesson in this, but the thought of her living it in any capacity would bring back bad memories. I understand. The ensuing beats of silence were confirmation. What do you want? Draco asked in the stillness. I'm happy with whatever we decide. She had something that was all hers. This was what she wanted, what she was content with. You never answered the question. He sounded too careful, face evening into something perfectly blank. Do you want children? I don't overthink it. Okay. She tried not to by pushing past her racing thoughts and tightening her grip on him. Knowing Scorpius doesn't object is a comfort, but I mean what I said— Hermione flashed him a smile, tucking her hair behind her ear. "'I never imagined I'd feel this way, like we're a family. But I do, and we are. Would I like to expand? I—' "'Well, yes.' Hermione met his gaze, pulse racing as the gravity of her words sank into the space between them. "'I said I was all in, and I mean that. But only if you want it. And when you are ready. If we stayed three, I would be happy.' And I'd be happy with more, too. I— Draco framed her face with his hands. The move stopped her before she could ramble on. Then his head dipped and whispered his thanks against her lips. Quick, but tender. Their eyes locked for one electric yet profound moment, before he kissed her again in a rush, catching her mouth open in shock and filling it. They stayed like that for what felt like a million moments strung together through touches, basking in the feeling of permanence— the barest hint of smiles were exchanged through the curved lips that disrupted the drugging kisses. Only when the fire began to die did she pull back and murmur, "'There is something else we should discuss.' Hmm. "'We should have had this talk first, but since we're thinking about everything, maybe now is the time.' She instantly had Draco's attention. "'Your mother.' "'What about her?' Recognition bloomed on his face as he sat back. Did she say something to you? She wouldn't go into it, but I can tell she's... Let me guess. She fears that she will be too far advanced or even completely gone to have any memories when we decide to make things official. Draco shook his head at her wide-eyed expression, a smirk on his lips. 
She had that talk with me before we left. My mother is meddling, and she's exceptionally good at twisting things to suit her wishes. She is. I'm not blind, she cupped his jaw. But she's not wrong. A hint of shock muted his amusement, and he sat up straighter. Are you propose? No, I'm... No, 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 no. The denial tumbled out in a rush. She winced. Well, actually, maybe. Kind of? Yes. Wait. I mean, later. Just to ease your mother's mind. To avoid the incredulous look Draco was giving her, Hermione covered her face, warmed from embarrassment. Does that make sense? This sounded better in my head. Hmm. Draco's response to her ramblings was lackluster at best. She tried again. Slower this time. Her meddling is a manifestation of her very real fears that we have the power to assuage. I think something like a ceremony would comfort her. To your mother, marriage is permanence and security. When I first met with her about her condition, all she wanted to do was ensure you both would be taken care of after she was gone. Draco only blinked. His continued silence urged her on. Her heart was racing, but she couldn't stop. Don't you see? She devoted her life to her family. We can give her the gift of knowing her family is secure, even if she can't remember it. It doesn't even have to be real. It just has to look real for her memories. Draco was now frowning, deep in thought, and just when Hermione thought he would dismiss her ramblings, six words took her breath away. I'd want it to be real. December 19th, 2011. Hermione woke up just as she had fallen asleep, looking at Draco. She couldn't stop. Last night they had made love to the soft tune of falling snow. When she came, she kept her eyes open, watching him reach oblivion with her. Something silent passed between them she would never forget. They spent the next hours wrapped in blankets on the small sofa in their room, turned towards the doors to the terrace, and what felt like hours passed as they talked while snow fell in waves of white beyond the glass panes. At least, he talked, she watched, and listened. This morning, she was back at it, stealing glances across the table while Scorpius happily munched on breakfast, which greatly pleased the elves. It was hard to put her feelings into words, but it felt like the equivalent of clarity. His comment made all the sense in the world. Still, she was stunned. Not by the sentiment, by his certainty, but also by hers. It was surprising. If it's not real or genuine, I don't want it. Those words now held new meaning. Hermione had spent months slogging through each phase leading up to her letting go. She had assumed she would do the same going forward, but no. She wasn't thinking of a perfect day or every girl's dream, but she was thinking of the difference in loving someone and wanting to spend her life with them, and realizing she'd quietly transitioned from one phase to another. And now it was beginning to manifest. Scorpius excused himself to put on his boots. They were going to let him play in the snow he'd marveled at all morning from the window. Just before Scorpius left the room, Draco went to sign, tomorrow, but the little boy covered his father's hand with his own. A moment passed between them, one that loudly spoke, long after Scorpius left with a smile. The reassurance, the need for security that his dad would be there had birthed the daily habit, but it was no longer needed. Scorpius knew. But more than that, he trusted. Draco's eyes remained in the direction that his son had disappeared, face softening with each passing second. A little blonde head peeked from around the corner again, playful and shyly smiling. 
and Draco gave him the universal sign to hurry on. When he was gone again, he looked at his hands, a slow smile growing where shock had just been. I'd prefer his trust over his voice. Are you okay? Yes, Draco met her gaze. He meant it. Are you? Why do you ask? You've been staring at me all morning. He rubbed the back of his neck. If it's about what I said, we can forget it. It's too soon to be considering the thought. No, that isn't it. I'm fine. Surprisingly so. Hermione looked around. You know, I'm happy we got away, even for a little while. I just can't stop thinking about everything else going on back home. She got up and was halfway past him when he pulled her into his lap. They held on to one another for a few moments. Any more news? I miss the flu call circus. He had let her sleep in before coming back to wake her up. First raid was a success. Greyback was sighted in the forest of Dean, and there's a team out there trying to track him down, figure out where he's going, where he's hiding. The media is still in a frenzy. Stories are coming out. Complaints are being filed. The protests are growing. Auras have several units in pursuit of both Tiberius and the minister. Percy has gotten both of Tiberius's vaults frozen and under ministry control, including access to his records, which apparently contain more evidence of his crimes. The writing was on the wall. Tiberius had to know his kingdom was crumbling, just like she knew that the power vacuum they wanted to avoid was likely inevitable. Have you spoken to Kingsley? Percy has. He's building a team of trusted individuals from Percy's office that can be spared, but we'll talk more on that later. I know we can't stay much longer. Draco wrapped both arms around her, and she leaned her temple against his forehead. When we return, whenever I'm not around, wherever he goes, wherever you go, security, I know, she whispered, closing her eyes. I fought the issue for a long time, but I understand. It's not about being capable. It's about unnecessary risks and avoiding them at all costs. I agree. I could say the same to you, too. I plan on only using magic in worded spaces, and I need you to not let Greyback catch your scent, which means you need to limit where you go as often as possible, at least for a little while until we're ready. I have an idea, but I'll need a little time. Hermione perked in curiosity, but he didn't seem ready to discuss it yet. Draco sighed. We can't fight a three-front war at the same time. No, we can't. She pulled back and looked at him. I'm not fighting you on this or keeping security close. I said I agreed. Still shocking. Hermione slapped his arm and got up, but not before kissing him. I want to hear about your idea when you're ready. Greyback can't stay in nature for much longer. Scorpius reappeared, ending the conversation, and after getting bundled up along with him, they ventured out into the snow. Hermione didn't know what to expect. From the bottom step, they watched him track in calf-high snow like a baby woodland creature, stopping every so often to scoop up a handful, drop it, then repeat the action. How long do you think he'll do this? Draco folded his arms, head tilted in confusion. It had been ten minutes already. No idea. Hermione picked up a pile of snow off the railing, forming it into a ball before throwing it at the unsuspecting boy. It missed, soaring right past his head, but it did as intended and got his attention. His smile followed. And seconds later, a poorly shaped snowball was sailing in her direction in retaliation. It hit Draco square in the chest. They all stopped, looked at the white snow on his black coat, then Scorpius stepped behind the little tree. No more than a few seconds passed before he peeked out. 
not with a nervous look, but with a mischievous growing smile that turned into a shriek when Draco picked up a handful of snow and made a ball and launched it at his son. Scorpius ducked, and the snowball fight began. Not that it lasted long. Scorpius's allegiance changed depending on the adult's level of success and aim. Strategic, really. But the activity left them all sprawled in the snow, breathing heavily. Tired, but hoarse from laughter. Hermione hadn't had so much fun in longer than she could remember. Neither had Draco, judging from the flush staining his cheeks and the ease of his laughter. Scorpius was between them, soaked in happiness and speckled with snow. It felt good. Right. An hour later, they were warm, changed, and making their way into town for a promised trip to the menagerie. It was nearly empty, with a few people milling about. The owner was a middle-aged woman who thankfully spoke English, and was instantly enamored with Scorpius, as he explored with his eyes rather than his hands. He stuck close to Draco's side, only letting go once they got to the puppies. They were younger than many of the dogs that Hermione had ever seen being sold, a month old at most. Most were up, making small yipping noises as they explored their blankets warmed by heating lamps. The owner explained that her son's dog had a litter that the mother rejected, so she was helping care for them until they were old enough to sell. "'What kind of dogs are they?' Draco asked. "'Pyrenean mountain dogs.' It was then they noticed Scorpius's attention had led him from focusing on the group of puppies climbing all over each other, to one that wasn't moving much, tucked under the blankets. Scorpius stared for so long the owner let him touch the puppy, while explaining the hardships the smallest of the litter had already gone through. When blue eyes turned to them, Hermione knew. Still, she tried to mitigate any potential disappointment. "'Oh, love, I don't think they're for sale.' "'I wouldn't mind selling you one.' Scorpius' face lit up and he turned pleading eyes on Draco. "'Oh, boy.' "'Why don't you choose one of the others?' the owner said with a warm look. "'This one is the smallest, the runt, and he'll never be as big or as strong as his brothers and sisters. You wouldn't want that now, would you?' They had a dozen reasons at home that said otherwise. Some had spines, some had feathers, but all of them, despite the odds, were alive and so very loved. He absolutely would.' Draco stepped back when he realized they were both staring at him expectantly. No. Draco? Granger! His mocking tone almost made her laugh. Hermione turned to the owner and smiled. Is it okay if he holds the puppy while we talk? Of course! She dragged Draco out of Scorpius's earshot, watching as he nervously petted the head of the puppy wrapped in a blanket in the owner's arms. He was so careful with it, just like with everything else. The owner spoke to him gently, and the little boy hung on each word, nodding with understanding. "'This is a terrible idea,' Draco broke the silence. "'You already said no to a penance pet.' "'I did, but Hermione had a similar love for what looked like lost causes. "'I know I did.' They swiveled back to Scorpius, who was being handed the puppy that didn't even squirm. Hermione melted. "'You have three new chickens.' "'I do, and they are acclimating so well to the coop,' she waved him off. "'We'll make sure he doesn't eat them.' "'He's the runt of the litter. You heard the owner. He barely survived fading puppy syndrome.' Draco reminded her with a frown. "'I'd be more inclined to purchase a healthier puppy.' "'But that's the one your son wants.' And more than anything, Hermione knew his attachment to struggling things. Things on the brink of being discarded, given up on, ignored.' He's weak and barely surviving. Draco took a deep breath, eyes on Scorpius, who was growing more and more attached by the second. 
What if the dog doesn't live? It'll be another thing he loses. I understand your concern, but ask yourself this. What if he does? The owner parted with the puppy free of charge, but truth be told, they probably spent four times the purchase price of any other pet and accessories. After a talk with Scorpius about responsibility, they left with an army of necessary items to care for the dog, plus strict feeding instructions for the formula. The rest of their plans were cancelled in favor of spending the day acclimating to the unplanned addition to their little family. Hermione read the guides and handled the first few feedings while Scorpius sat next to her, observing everything. Draco read the pamphlets, books, and manuals cover to cover. Twice. Everyone arranged themselves on a mountain of blankets in front of the fireplace in the solarium, with Scorpius between them, carefully petting the puppy in the middle while whispering a name. The one he insisted on. Albus. While Hermione found Scorpius' proclivity for naming significant things after moments and people adorable, Draco appeared ready to hurl himself off the highest peak in response. He didn't discourage his son's decision, but he did ask, "'Are you sure that's the name you want for him?' He nodded. "'Can we call him A for short?' Hermione suggested. Scorpius thought on it before agreeing. The conversation might have gone on, but the flames in the fireplace changed from orange to green before Harry's face appeared. "'I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have an update. We have them both in custody.' Draco and Hermione exchanged looks. Apparently... It was time to go home. There is nothing so stable as change. Bob Dylan